Well, hello to everybody, everyone watching online. We are thrilled that you're with us today. Everyone from Alma, we love you guys. And everyone right here in Mount Pleasant, it's good to be together. Uh, could I start off uh, by sharing, uh, before we open up God's Word, a, a little bit of sad news, but also a little bit of sweet news. Um, in very recent years, the, uh, the first pastor that was called to this church, a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Brown, he passed away in his uh, early 90s. And uh, just last night, his beautiful wife, Margie Brown, passed away. And wanted to share that with the family because I know there would be people here who would have known her and have known the family for many, many years. Sad news in that uh, it's our loss and certainly the family will be grieving the loss of their, their mom, the grandmother, and uh, we'll be praying for them and supporting them. But sweet news that she's at home with Jesus, right? And she's with her hubby and they're together again and just really want to acknowledge the years that they served here and then they moved back into this area for, for really, they've just been known in the community of many friends for many, many decades here and they're loved and respected. So I wanted to share that. Um, let's launch right now a brand new series that we've entitled uh, Rhythms. Uh, for those of you here who have the kind of personality, the kind of temperament, or like, just give me something to do. You know those people? Sick, sick people. They like to roll up their sleeves, sink their teeth into it, like, I want to chase after it. Give me something to, to get uh, and, and act on. You're going to love this series. If that's not you, bummer, because for the next six weeks, here's what it's going to be. It's, it's going to be, we're, we're going to the gym. Uh, we really are going to the gym together. Um, we, uh, the Holy Spirit has got a gift for you uh, every single week, uh, almost as if it's like the Lord's just going to pass on to you uh, a, a sense of exercise for you to be engaged with. Now, last year, in, in sort of the last few months, we, we went through a series where we deliberately and very specifically talked about if you want to be in good standing with God, if you want to have a right relationship with God, there's nothing for you to do. It's not on you to solve that, fix that, work at that, sweat towards that, uh, intellectually you know, find the answer to that. In fact, you can't. You just can't. And we took quite a bit of time and we went through a series where like, it's just Jesus alone. It's not what you can do. It's just the Bible alone. It's just faith alone. It's just grace alone. We are on the receiving end of this gift, and that is how we become as children. So it's not on what you think you can accomplish or solve or fix or pour any resources that you think that you have. That's just never going to cut it. So today, I don't want to give you whiplash, but I do need for us to pivot in a different direction. And there is a very important distinction and hopefully I can make it as clear as I can, and it's simply this. Now that you are his child, now that you are in good standing with God, he has work for you to do. Do you see the distinction? In order for you to become a child of God, the work has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. Now that you are his child, he says to you, it's time for you to roll up your sleeves. Now that you are his child, I've got kingdom work for you to be engaged in that should be active and proactive and deliberate on your part. Very, very important distinction. You see, you need a way of life that keeps you close to God. If you are a follower of Christ and you're not going to the gym and there's certain things that God's actually called you to actively do and engage in, what you're going to find is you're going to find yourself kind of drifting a little bit. I'm following Christ. Well, I'm kind of meandering a little bit. 
a way of life where you actually, on a normal, normal day, experience God, experience His love. In the normal places where you find yourself throughout the week, you experience His presence, experience actually the power of God in you to be close to Him and to live for Him and to represent Him as well as you can. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to a bunch of stuff to do, what we've got to be very careful is, and we're going on this wrong road so quickly, it becomes mechanical, it becomes superficial, or worst, it becomes legalistic. You start doing some stuff, and then you start thinking, well, I'm all that. Look at me. Haven't I fairly holy and sanctified, and haven't I got my act together? And I don't know about you, but I don't have any interest in falling into that trap. So it's a fine line, but it's a really, really good direction for us to go. You see, many, many Christians believe that what it means to be a Christian is that you have to know information and profess that information. And while that is a good thing, that by itself simply is not enough. It's wrong. There is an illusion that many people, even people who go to church, think that information alone will bring about transformation. And actually, some of the most miserable Christians I've ever met are Christians whose head are full, packed full of kind of biblical kind of concepts and principles and Greek words. But if you look at their life, the fruit actually is quite sour or sometimes completely absent. Information is important, but by itself it is not sufficient. It's fascinating as you look in the book of Acts at the birth of the church and these early followers of Jesus Christ. As others looked at them, they kind of had a description that you don't often very, you don't hear it very often. They called them, oh, those bunch of people, there was a man called Jesus, he died on the cross, and they claim that he rose from the dead. They follow him, those bunch of people, and they call them, they are the followers of the way. They never called them the believers of a creed. They never referred to them as some sort of cognitive group of people who had this download of secret information, and that's what they did. They, those are a bunch of people who knew a bunch of stuff. No, they were actually actively following a way of life. A way of life that was active and produced life. Produced the with God life, the close to God life. And I need that, and so do you. If I could have one word to sum up what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks, it would be simply this word. Training. We're going to the gym. God wants you to roll up your sleeves. He wants you to sink your teeth into this. And He wants you this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow and this week to begin to engage in some kingdom activities that are going to bring you closer to God. Now, if you asked me today to run a marathon, I would laugh in your face because I can't run a marathon. If you asked me, what about 12 months from now? Could you run a marathon 12 months from now? I'd still laugh in your face because <laughs> I don't want to do that. But we all know what I would need to do between this moment and 12 months from now, right? I would need to, what's the word? Train. I'd have to train. And it's possible that I could maybe get into gear and that could be something that I might accomplish. And so over the next six weeks, it's like the Holy Spirit's going to give you this present. And every Sunday, you're going to open up this little gift that you can immediately, actively begin to use in your life, like roll up your sleeves and do it in the kingdom of God type stuff. All of which is going to cause you to actually live closer to God. 
Let me show you what this looks like. The one tool, the one exercise, almost like a, like a dumbbell, like, like a weight that you're going to actually do some reps with this week is this simple word, and it is the word surrender. Delightful little word, isn't it? Anyone here like going to the gym? Anyone who says yes to that, you've got issues. This is a tough one, but it's very, very foundational in terms of reps and what God's calling us to do. Because it's the idea of actually giving up what you want. The idea of giving up your will. Now, we actually train every child to do this. Every parent, every guardian understands that moment where it's the child's will, but then the parent's will, and the parent who actually knows best, but the child doesn't. But that child's desires and passions and will wants to take over. Actually, a child's will is a very, very dangerous thing. A child's will will cause that child to passionately run out into the road without looking left or right. A child's will will look at treats and sweets and all that kind of stuff and will just consume them to the point where the child is physically ill and sick. A child and their will will get to the point of saying, I just won't go to bed, and then you'll see them in tears and just exhausted. And that's where a parent is needed to say, I'm going to exert my will over your will. I want you to submit your life to my will because I actually know what is truly best for you. It is the daily training and task of surrendering your life and your will to God. And it's all based actually on what is the most famous prayer ever. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 10, your will be done. Four very simple words. Let's say them together. Ready? Your will be done. One more time. Your will be done. It's a powerful prayer. Those are four words that you can say anytime. That's going to be your weights this week. That's going to be your workout. You're going to find occasions where you're going to open up your mouth and you're going to say, your will be done. You can say this Every day of your life, when you're stuck in traffic and you cannot control things, your will be done. Now, that's not the reaction that you want, right? You're ready to do some sign language and to freak out. But instead, no, I'm going to be spiritually fit. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to find some rhythms in my life here, regular rhythms. Your will be done. When you're worried about your kids and you cannot control them, your will be done. That's hard because you want to control. You want to make something happen. Hold on a second. God, your will be done. You're going to the gym. When you're angry with your spouse and you cannot control them, your will be done. When your computer crashes, when you don't get accepted into the school that you wanted to go to, when you don't get the job, when you don't get the promotion, when you hoped she would say yes, but she said no, when you hoped she would say yes, but she did say yes, and now you're sorry, she said, no, I shouldn't say that at all. <laughs> Real stuff, when you're worried about money, when you're worried about paying the bills, we are ready to take control, find our desired outcome, and we're going to make it happen, and we're freaking out inside. How about we don't do that, and we say, God, I mean this, your will be done in that. You think about Margie Brown, who passed away last night. I think she was 92. In a very real sense, when you're laying down and when you're dying, you can say these words. 
in this moment of my life, your will be done. And actually, it's how faith works. Like in, in the normal places of your life, this is how faith is actually activated. Something unlocks inside of you when you want things a certain way. And by the way, do you want things a certain way? All the time. All the time. This is true of all of us in this place. You go through your life, and so do I, insisting on a certain outcome to a thousand different scenarios. Relationships and money and people and career and jobs and vacations and plans. And we will bend over backwards. We will hold on to those with such a tight grip. I'm going to make sure that what I want to see come actually comes to that conclusion. That description right there should be very familiar to every single one of us. Something unlocks in you when you take what you want, what you desperately want, what you're willing to do almost anything to accomplish or to achieve or to have or to acquire in your life, and you say, wait a second, these are words of faith. This is the activity of faith, God. Yeah, that's what I want. Do I want it? Oh, man, I really want that. I really try to make that happen. But in this moment, God, I'm going to say this, and I mean it. I want what you want more than what I want. Your will be done. And that's, that's going to the gym. That's lifting some weights. That's living close to God. Moment by moment, normal places of your life. Let me tell you why you need this prayer. One author put it like this. And I really like this. He said, I've been a Christian long enough, and I'm spiritually mature enough to know that I only have two problems. Now, you may have lots of problems. I only have two. One, I seem to do things I don't want to do. Two, I don't do the things that I know I really ought to. Anyone have those two problems? I've got those two problems in spades. Don't eat that. And then I eat it. Don't drink that. And then I drink it. You know, you shouldn't look at that. And then you look at it. Ah, I don't, I don't want to smoke that. And then you smoke that. Don't look at that sight. And then you click. Don't wimp out. Stand up straight. Don't procrastinate. Don't brag. Don't be full of envy. Don't scream and yell at your kids. Don't look at your wife and say, you look just like your mother. <laughs> and then you open your mouth and you say, you look just like your mother. Here it is, Romans chapter 7. This is going to describe you to a T. I do not understand what I do. Isn't that all of us? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, that's what I end up doing. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Doesn't that describe every one of us? That's the human condition. That is our nature. I know what I should do. I know what's good. I know what's right. I know what would be best, but I don't want to do it. In fact, I can't. I'm unable to do that. We want to do what is good, but we are prepared to do what is wrong because we want what we want. I want to do what is good, but I'm perfectly ready to do what is wrong because I'll bend over backwards to get things my way. 
I want them to come to the conclusion that I want. That's my desire, and I'm insistent upon it. Therefore, I'm prepared to do what is wrong, even though I know better than that. I believe no one has ever lived this, or modeled this, or expressed this, or taught this, or identified this with greater clarity than the man Jesus Christ. He expressed it over and over, but unforgettably in these words, Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to become my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's a heavy weight statement. Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up my cross and follow me. I think there's a lot of confusion about what does that phrase mean to take up your cross. So I think almost all of us would be familiar with the fact that Jesus claim the biblical claim is that he died on a cross. And we see that as he's on his way to this place called Golgotha, that he actually physically carried this beam. He carried this cross. Take up your cross. I think there's a lot of confusion as to what it means. I think quite simply it just means this. That my desire, what I want, is no longer the ultimate goal of my life. Now, here's what I know about all of us. On a normal day, you and I go around minute by minute trying to get what we want. But that's just normal. You have a taste, a desire, you have an appetite. I will fulfill that for me. That's what we do. To take up your cross means that that is no longer the ultimate goal of your life. So I'm willing to give up what I actually want. Do I want it? Yeah, I really want this. I'm actually willing to give that up because I know what is good and right and noble and godly. What is actually better for me. That's what it means to take up your cross. That's what it means to deny yourself. My life is no longer about me perpetually always getting my own way about everything that I want in my life. And the first step for this, which is extremely foundational is not to exert my will, but actually to surrender my will. Now, how many times in your life have you looked at yourself and said, oh, I can't believe I did that again. How many times in your life have you looked and said, yep, that's my vice, or those are my vices. Yep, those are my mistakes and my sins and my regrets. And I seem to do them again and again. In fact, this seems to be this habitual pattern in my life. And I always feel bad when I say that or do that because I know that's not what God wants for me. In fact, it's really disobedience. But I don't seem to be able to stop. But here's what happens. And how many of you can resonate with this? You do the thing that you know you shouldn't. And then afterwards, here's your grand conclusion. I'll do better next time. I think that's all of us again. How many times have you been literally underwhelmed at your own capacity to fail to do what you ought to do. I failed to help. I failed to give. I failed to show up. I failed to love. I failed to speak. I should have. I could have. I ought to have, but I didn't. And you look at yourself and you say, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just try harder next time. Can I just say what I've just described that? None of that is taking up your cross. That's not what it means to deny yourself. Figuratively speaking, that will be more akin to actually just saying, I'm not carrying this cross anymore. I'm going to just put it aside, and I'm just going to figure this out for myself. That's what that actually is. In the words of famous theologian Dr. Phil, how's that going for you? 
Look at this phrase. It has three little pieces to it. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Let's say those three together out loud. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Just a little bit louder. One more time. Everyone online and everyone in Alma. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. And that's the foundation. I can't. I can't do what? Well, I can't fix myself. I can't try harder next time. That doesn't seem to be winning. I can't remove the guilt. I can't help that I'm an alcoholic. I can't help that I'm a rageaholic, that I'm a workaholic, that I'm a greedaholic, that I'm an imageaholic, that I'm a judgmentaholic. I can't seem to stop doing these things. I can't give myself a personality transplant. I cannot be the man, husband, friend, father, person, pastor that I know I ought to be, that I really should be. I don't seem to be able to do that. I can't control all of these appetites in my life. I seem to be anxious and worry. I'm full of lust. I'm full of greed. I seem to be envious of other people. I can't control these things, but God can. I think I'll let him. Instead of me just saying, I'm going to try harder, a pattern I've done a zillion times before and doesn't seem to be working out for me. So have you prayed this prayer? Your will be done. Have you taken the step honestly? The bad news is you really can't. The good news is God really can. The question is, have you let him? Have you surrendered your will? Or are you still holding on tight to make things happen the way they have to conclude? Look at the scripture. I want to read it for the second time. Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to become my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is what it means to follow to be a follower of the way, to be a disciple, to be a Christian. This is the basic thing of what it means. People sometimes wonder, okay, so surrendering, don't I just kind of surrender and then we're done with the surrendering? Is it like a one time, once for all, I surrendered? And to that I would say, I think you certainly have to start somewhere, but actually you will not just drift towards a life of continual surrender. Actually, you will drift away from a life of continual surrendering. You will drift back towards, but I think I want things my way. So I think it's an all the time, every day. Here's why. <laughs> Dear God, I surrender my will. Three minutes later, dear God, I want it back. Sound familiar? Dear Lord, I just want to do things your way. Except for when I want to do things my way. Dear Lord, I give it to you. I, I, I'll, I'll just give all of this to you. And then I just take it back. And then I give it to him. And then I, I take it back. Sometimes I will pray these prayers by myself when I'm all alone with God. And it's so impressive. I said, like, God, you can have it all. And I mean it. I feel like I really mean it. God, you can have it all. You can have my time and my money and my family. God, you can have my will. You can have my friendships. You can have my career. You can have all my energy. You, Lord, you can have it all. I surrender. Your will be done. And I really mean it. In fact, sometimes I'm like, I'm quite impressed with my own prayer. I'm like, wow, well done, Alan. That was quite devout. Good job. And then my wife says, Alan, do you mind doing that job? No. Stop interrupting me surrendering my life to Jesus. 
Okay, I'm surrendering to him, not surrendering to you. I was like, home for you. You see, I think I've surrendered my time until somebody actually wants it. I think I've surrendered my money until somebody actually needs it. It's easy in my prayer closet. You can have my money. I didn't have to do anything. They're just words. Easy to surrender my circumstances, God, no matter what happens. Until I encounter circumstances that I just don't like. Then I'm like, no. I'll take the will. I'm back in charge. It's easy to surrender your will until you don't get things your way. And I'm never done learning this prayer. Your will be done. You'll never be done learning that prayer. You can go to the gym with this one every, every day this week. Your will be done. It will never cease to give you life. It will energize you. He will bring you closer to God in that moment. He will fill you up again. It keeps training me correctly so that I can live the with God life. And when I look at Jesus and at this thing, this training called surrender, I'm actually incredibly grateful for the way that he gives us the example, gives us a model of what that looks like in his life. Because the picture that we get of Jesus so often when he does all these things is like, well, Jesus is just amazing. Jesus did that. That seemed quite easy for him. My goodness, look at how he fed those couple of thousand people. Look at how he healed that person. Like, wow, wow, just amazing. But not so much with this particular thing. Because it wasn't effortless. We don't get this cookie-cutter, perfect little picture with a bow on top of surrender. We don't get this nice little example from Jesus. In fact, it was anything but that. As we look at church history, we see that other people have died for the faith. Other people have given their lives. History gives the account of men and women who have faced martyrdom with incredible poise, incredible steadiness, unbelievable courage, and they, they walked towards their own deaths, and sometimes their bodies were ravaged for the sake of the kingdom of God, and they did that just willingly with a smile, literally with a smile and a joyful heart, and they give their lives over to Jesus. But when we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's anything but that. Jesus is not calm. And yet he's this person of tremendous faith, incredible courage. He's displayed that so many times. And yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he seems to be just in agony. He's groaning in prayer. We looked at this last week. Jesus is doing the very thing we talked about last week. He's groaning in prayer. He's like sweating, like drops of blood. It's so bad. He has friends around him, but nobody is able to comfort him. And you have to wonder, why is that scene so different from so many other people who have given their lives? You see, through all eternity, the Son has only ever willed what the Father has willed. Even all through Jesus' earthly ministry, over and over again, Jesus just seemed to delight to do the will of the Father. His great prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Infamous prayer, incredible prayer. He just loved doing what his father wanted him to do. He just loved giving his will to the father. So much so that one day he's with his disciples. He actually describes it like this. He says, it's like, my, it's like food to me. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. In other words, when I just give my will over to the father, it actually nourishes me. It feeds me. It energizes me. I love to do that. It's like a feast. But in the garden, 
when he's facing not just death, not just death on a cross, but what would be called God-forsakenness. He's facing God-abandonment. The weight, somehow, of the alienation of the Father as death and sin and guilt and shame and the hell of every human broken soul is descending on the second person of the Trinity. It is descending upon him and it seems like the weight is just crushing him in this moment. In the garden, he tells his father for the very first time, I don't want that. I don't want it. For the first time, Jesus is struggling with the Father's will. This is how he puts it. These are his words, Luke chapter 22. Father, if you're willing, would you please take this cup from me? I genuinely don't want to do this. Maybe part of the pain of Gethsemane is that for the first time in all eternity, the Son is struggling with not wanting the will of the Father. The son realizes, this is what it is to not want what my father wants. To desire what is opposed to what the father desires. Jesus had never experienced that before. Do you know that moment? Oh, yes, you do. We're all extremely familiar with that. Not Jesus. And that is the fracture in our souls. To know what is good. To know what is right and noble and godly. To know what God's will is for your life. And to not want it. And to choose not to do what the Father wants you to do. We're fluent in that language. This is like this moment for Christ in Gethsemane. It's like the perfect picture of the drama of every human life. And it's like all of heaven holds its breath. What is Jesus going to choose? And then he makes his choice. This is what he says. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Please feel the weight of that. Please don't pass over that. That is magnificent. And the next line in the scripture is far less famous, but it's so encouraging to me. It says wonderful things about the kingdom of God, and life in the kingdom of God. It says, then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And some of you this week, you're going to go to the gym. You're going to open up your mouth. You're going to activate faith in circumstances that are out of your control that you do not want. And you're going to say, your will be done. And it's not going to feel nice. And I believe those angels are still on call. I think they make house calls and office calls and car calls and walking around the neighborhood calls. They're going to be with you and they're going to minister to you. Today, I want to give you a chance to surrender. Maybe you have never, ever in your life surrendered. Maybe you have never, never deliberately said, God, this is what I want. I'm going to give you my will. And I'm going to surrender myself. I'm going to follow the way. I'm going to follow this person, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never done that. To actually throw up your hands and say, I give up trying to fix me. Trying to say, I'll try harder next time. I'm not doing that anymore trying to figure it out. So here's the question for you. Will you surrender all of it? All of it. And will you commit yourself then to a lifetime of continuing to surrender?
Will you ask Jesus to lead you and to forgive you and to give you a clean slate and a new life and to be your friend and your shepherd and your forgiver and your guide and your leader and your Lord? And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now in a way that as I pray, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say from the most sincere place in the very core of your soul to say, God, this is my prayer, that, you, that we would pray together, that these words would come from your mouth as I speak them now. Would you bow your heads? Dear Lord, I can't. I can't save my own life. I can't earn my way to heaven. I cannot transform myself. But God, in this holy moment, I trust that you can. That you can forgive me of my sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. That you can enter into my mind and my thoughts and my desires and my will and my life. So God, today, with my hand on my heart, I commit my life to you and I repent of my sins and I ask you to forgive me and to make me new and to clean me up and to adopt me as your child. I will follow you. For every Christ follower, I want to pray for you right now. Jesus, I ask you to guide me by your spirit to train me in surrender every day, each hour. God, I'm done gritting my teeth and just trying harder. I can't. You can. I think I'm going to let you right now. I want to thank you for your commitment to transforming me into a new person. It's greater than my own commitment to myself, God. And so in this moment, in this holy moment, I gladly let you, I invite you, I ask you, I turn my life and my will into your care. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And the church together says, amen. Church, would you stand?